The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, I, I tell you, I, I, love, um, I, I love seeing how the Holy Spirit puts things together. You guys don't see this as often or maybe aren't aware of it as often, but so many times as I'm sitting there not having any idea what Sam's going to be singing or what whatever worship team happens to be up that week is going to be singing or playing, um, it's always just so encouraging to me sometimes when, when the songs that are being sung and even the prayers being offered up end up being exactly what I'm about to preach on. And so though you're not aware of this, Sam and the worship team, the songs we did and the prayers that were offered in between, he just preached my whole sermon. So um, you're dismissed. Um, I have a couple of announcements for you guys this morning. First off, uh, first Wednesday, this Wednesday night at 6.30 is just a time of worship and fellowship. We're going to be worshiping the Lord, reading the word together. Um, there's uh, child care for, I think, fifth grade down. And then afterwards, there's going to be fellowship time with like snow cones, I think, and games and all this kind of stuff. Um, but something kind of got added into that um, that's really cool as well that I want to make you guys aware of. Um, the gang at Sweet Tea Express, can I get an amen? if you've ever had some Sweet Tea Express in the valley here. Yeah? Hey, if you haven't, if you haven't, I'm about to change your life for the better. So, um... Sweet Tea Express, it's the place right out in the parking lot of Blackbird, and uh, just an incredible, incredible food, just great food. Um, they've offered to come at our first Wednesday services through the summer and set up and, and provide food at a donation-only basis. And each month, the donation that comes in is going to be funneled then, 100% of it, to different uh, either causes or organizations. And for example, this week, they'll be set up uh, serving food at 6 p.m. tonight right here outside the hub. And the, the money that comes in that you guys bring to donate in to get barbecue, and I'm telling you, it's insane. It's like barbecue plates and stuff like that. It's so good. All the money that comes in, they're then turning and donating to the Pregnancy Resource Center here in the Valley this week. So, so listen come out, okay? Come out. Help us bless the Pregnancy Resource Center. Worship the Lord with one another. We're going to get to know one another better. The weather's going to be amazing, warm but amazing, and, and it's just going to be a really fun time. So please don't skip out. Wednesday night, food at 6 o'clock, worship and whatnot, beginning at about 6.30. So we look forward to seeing you guys there. Um, also, um, our Awanas program just ended for the year, and uh, if you missed it last Wednesday night, it had sort of a celebration service here um, um, to kind of look at it and reflect on and celebrate the things that the Lord did through our Awanas program. And uh, the gang had a video actually put together to kind of help us see um, some of the things that are going on. So could somebody like maybe kill these front row of lights or something so we can see? Our projectors are just horrible. But um, we wanted to just be able to share this with the body to just kind of see the fruit and the good that has come into and also kind of share sort of the vision and the needs moving forward in the Awanas program. So you guys got that ready to go? Can we hit play on that thing? I'm Brent Sisson, and I am the Awana Director. Hey, my name is Peter Ulrich. Uh, I am the Sparks Leader here. My name is Sarah Klein, and I'm one of the Cubbies Leaders. Alex Saucedo. I am a Sparks Leader. I'm Tom, and I'm the Game Leader for Cubbies. Uh, my name is Estella. I am a Cubbies Leader. Patty Klein, and I am a Sparky Leader. Jason, and I am the Awana's Game Director. Jeff White, and I'm a TNT Leader. My name is Sierra. I am a TNT Leader. 
Stephanie Strong. I am the director of TNT. Church, you guys have a lot to be um, proud of with our, our volunteers, with our kids. Um, they do an incredible job of, of just loving on these kids. That you know, the kids have put in a lot of work, um, and uh, you just to, to see families um, work together to memorize scripture. Um, it's been it's been fun, just incredibly a joy to see. I'm just amazed how much the kids know about Jesus. You know, we teach them a lot in the stories, we even teach them in the games, but they know so much already, it's just so cool. Kids have always been my favorite ministry, so watching Jesus move as they learn about him, learn the Bible stories that I grew up learning, and it's just fun seeing them begin to understand the stories about Jesus. We just get to have fun, we just get to have a blast. Um, one of my favorite times of game time is actually at the beginning when we all get to pray and um, with the little guys, with the Sparkies, we, uh, we, everybody actually gets down on their knees and pray and, and prays and, and it's, it's just a really sweet time, really cool and um, we're working on the Pledge of Allegiance still, so figuring that out, but game time is just fun. We just have a blast and uh, run amok, be as loud as we possibly can and uh, you know, just try to disrupt the, the big church as much as possible. There are a few kids that um, just need a little extra attention, a little extra kind-heartedness, but I feel like that's where God gives me the opportunity to kind of swoop in and be there for those children and say, like, hey, I'm here for you, and if, if, if there's something going on that you want to talk to with me about it, um, I'm open to hear whatever you have to say. That's what we want the kids to go away with every night is that God loves them and we love them too. questions about the gospel and the questions about Jesus and they know the answers and I think that's just a really fun awesome experience for us leaders and for the kids too because we see that they are actually learning from this and whole experience and it's, it's really great that's the best part I think. I think my favorite part is game time just because we get to run around a lot and it's really fun to watch the kids goofing off. Wherever I end up I will always try to be part of Awanas because it's, it's an awesome program for everybody involved. We need more leaders, more help um, to be able to facilitate the kids questions and really minister to them um, you know more on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I'll be with it I expect next year no problem and I, I'd just like to see more and more kids come. I want to continue to see Awana just um, help uh, drive um, home life and, and drive you know the, the focus of the home around the word um, that we we are want to do a better job at that I personally want to do a job, better job of being intentional about that and um, so that you know kids are having fun learning the word which is important but that it's kind of becoming more of a central aspect of what's going on at home Hey, do me a 
favor. Hang on, before you clap, before you clap. Um, if you were involved in any way in helping us lead or put on the Iwanas program this year, could you do me a favor and just stand up for us so we can just properly thank you guys? <clears throat> thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. And we're so thankful for what you guys did. And if you would like to get involved in this, we expect this program to grow even more next year. And so we'll, we'll be needing more help. Uh, Pastor Brent will be working on getting things kicked off already through the summer, putting things together. So uh, make sure you get a hold of us or Pastor Brent through the children's ministry. And uh, we would love to be able to uh, help you there. One last announcement, and I don't have a whole lot to give you at this particular moment, but we, we will have some video and some, some stuff to put in your hand from a paper standpoint soon. But I'm just excited about this and I've been sitting on it for like a month and I'm tired of sitting on it. So I'm just going to tell you now and then we'll do the rest later. Um, I'm an ENFP. We can't keep secrets. Um, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. Anyway, um, some of you guys are aware that I actually uh, kind of if you will, sort of cut my teeth in the ministry in Mexico in the mission field at a place called Carmen Serdan. Um, there's a mission there in Carmen Serdan. It's an orphanage for um, what we refer to as kids, though many of them have, have grown and they're even into their 20s, some of them now. Um, but the orphanage there in Carmen Serdan was under the, the covering of Applegate Christian Fellowship for over 25 years, I think it is. Um, my wife and I lived down there for a significant season, and we taught at a school of discipleship that was down there. It's where I learned to teach the Bible, is teaching these college kids. But then we would spend the rest of the time actually caring for the orphans um, that are down there in need. And it is a special, special place. There's a lot of heads nodding in the room right now because you've been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. God has done some amazing things down there. And um, they've gone through sort of a season of transition where um, the church that was sort of covering them and supporting them is kind of moving on to do some different things. And it ended up, the mission was looking for um, other churches to kind of make more of a, um, I guess you'd say a cooperative effort amongst multiple churches to kind of jump in and cover the things that are going on there. Um, and then recently, they've just been going through a really hard season. We became aware of all the transitions and what was going on, and I talked to the mission director. Um, me and the pastors actually visited there for a day in October of last year, and we've been in conversation with them. And they actually came like that close to having to shut the doors in March, um, just because of uh, just budgetary reasons, frankly. Um, and we've we just been praying about this as a church. If that mission had to shut its doors and those kids that have grown up together had to get dispersed to different orphanages throughout Mexico, it, that would just be a travesty, in, in my opinion. And so we've been praying about this as a, a leadership board and talking with them. And we voted, the board of directors of the church voted in favor last month of expanding our mission base. You know that we do work in Uganda already. We're planning a trip to Uganda as we speak. And we're even actually in talk with Pastor John in uh, Embraer, Uganda right now, now that we've built them a church and we have property, we're actually looking at like, now what if we built a school? And so we're looking at some really cool stuff over there, but we really just feel like we're at a time in our church's life and, and growth and resources where we can open up another front in the mission field. And the, the mission in Carmen Serdan is like the most incredible, perfect um, opportunity for us, not just to minister to a place where many of us have logged a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but also a place that's sort of nearby enough that, that the majority of the body can have opportunities to actually go experience mission work in a way that's much harder to do if you have to fly to Africa to do it, if that makes sense. So we voted in favor of becoming actually very significant partners with the mission in Carmen Serdan on a financial level. 
And we're looking to continue to grow that opportunity, which means we're going to start opening up mission trips and opportunities. I think Jeremy, if I'm not mistaken, is even already looking to put together something for our high school kids to go even this very summer to go down and serve at the mission in Carmen Serdan. So we're going to have some more information for you guys on that. There's a video they've put together we'll share with you soon to introduce those of you to it. Um, But if you're like me and you know that place and it's near and dear to your heart, this is a great, not just a great opportunity, but really good news. It almost feels like coming home in a sense. You know what I mean? Amen. So be praying for our church as we do that and be praying for the kids in Carmen, Sudan, Mexico, and we'll introduce you guys to them in the very near future. Amen. Amen. So let's, uh, let's do this. Let's dive right in now. We're going to read Philippians. One. Oh, and I forgot one more. This is uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. Um, And Memorial Day weekend, a little different than Veterans Day. Veterans Day, anyone who has served, that kind of stuff we do. But Memorial Day is is different and unique and I think worth uh, the attention and emphasis because uh, the whole core of Memorial Day is to honor those who have given their lives for our nation. Amen? So those who who have died for the cause of the freedom that we are enjoying as we speak in this room, that's what Memorial Day is set aside for. And there's even debate among some, like, oh, you shouldn't get involved in those sorts of things as a church. That's a natural, that's a nationalistic thing, and the church shouldn't have anything to do with that. The church is about the kingdom of God, not about some American holiday or anything. But, but my belief is this. Anything that represents and points to the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that the church should honor. And so on Memorial Day, the understanding that people laid down their lives, gave of themselves, their prime years, their livelihood, their health, any of these things, laid those things down that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have, that is an absolute, even if they didn't know they were doing it, that is a beautiful and perfect picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ would lay himself down so that we might be set free from sin and enjoy the freedom that God brings. And that's something that's worth honoring as a church, is it not? So as we begin, amen, right. So this is what, we, what we'd like to do. Um, just in, in honor of that, I mean, the holiday may be to, for those to honor those who had laid their lives down, but, but in honor of that or maybe to represent that, if you have served in any of our nation's branches of military services from the Coast Guard, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, in, any of that stuff, um, we would like to honor them and you through that. Could you, could you just do, do us a favor and stand up for us really quick? Amen. Thank you guys so much. So, oh, no, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. God, we are so thankful, Lord, for the freedoms that we get to experience as a nation. And Lord, we know that, that our ability to even gather in this way is in no small part thanks to the efforts of, of men and women like these and those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and laid their lives down that we might do this. And so God, we just want to stop and just thank you for the privilege of being born or, or being moved to, whatever the case may be, a nation that has those who would do such a thing, Lord. I'm just thankful 
that we have the ability, Lord, to, to serve you and love you and learn of you and grow, that we have the freedom, Lord, to, to live, to own property, to just the, all of the lives that we get to enjoy, Lord, we're just thankful. And we know that, that that came by your grace through men and women like this. And so, Lord, we just pause first, Lord, to thank you for them, ask that you would bless them for their sacrifice and those who have, have lost others. But God, we don't want our, our worship or our honor to start, stop with that. Lord, we understand that even in that is a picture and an understanding, Lord, that's given to us that we might see that you are the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice to set us free. That Christ, it is you who ultimately laid his life down. And so we're so thankful for your gospel, for this nation, for this church, for our friends, for our brothers and sisters in this room. And I pray, God, that as we open your word right now and learn more and more about you, Lord, that you would just bless and teach your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. If you guys would, turn in the book of Philippians to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high, and uh, we'll make sure that you get one of those. If you don't own a Bible, then this is a gift to you, and we pray that the Lord would use this to, uh, to teach you more and more about who he is, what he's done for us, his will for our life. Um, it's an amazing, amazing book written by the very breath of God. So we pray that that would be a blessing to you. We are currently in the book of Philippians, uh, verse by verse, studying through uh, what's referred to as an expositional study of the scripture, just dissecting and going through it. And we come to, well, we're closing out this week and next week, the end of Philippians chapter one. Now, this book is really important and it answers a really, really important question. So, so sort of to lay the framework for that as we're going there, um, I, I just want to ask you to just think about something. This is a rhetorical question, sort of, but think, think about this for a second. What is the core, if you will, of Christianity? Like if you took out all the, not, all the things that are, well, maybe... Or some do this, some do that. If you removed those things and you reduced Christianity down to its very core, the one thing or the few things you cannot get rid, get rid of and still call it Christianity, what would it be? In our country especially, thanks to the freedoms that we talked about and to some of our, our nation's history, there are many, many, many people who believe that they have experienced Christianity when in fact, maybe they've just experienced elements of it. Maybe they just saw the trailer, not the whole thing. Maybe they read the cliff notes, not the whole book. So for many, Christianity is about moral living. Is that true? It's an element of it. I mean, Christianity does encourage it. We're called to live that way. The Bible teaches about moral living. Jesus lived a moral life. So, so there's elements of that, absolutely. Traditions, sure. There's all sorts of traditions, some given by God, some through our church fathers. The very fact that we're gathered together right now is part of that, sure. Ceremonies, absolutely that's part of it. Baptism, communion, these are really important. Sacraments, things we hold dear as a church. But, but at its core, like what is the absolute core of Christianity? Because the thing is, if you miss the one thing, even by a little bit, that's the core of why we're even here in the first place today, then you've missed all of it, honestly. I'll give you an example. In uh, October 1967, the Soviet Union, in the middle of the whole space race that was going on, they launched a probe towards the planet Venus. 
And the plan was this probe was going to travel 25 million miles. Think about that. 25 million miles in the 60s, which for many of us, especially young people, you're thinking that's like the dark ages of technology, right? 25 million miles, probe is launched. It's going to land on a moving target, Venus. But this probe was designed so that it would land or really crash on the surface of Venus and transmit back information that would help them understand what's Venus like. What's the atmosphere like? What is, what is it like on the planet Venus? And so the Soviets sent it up 1967, and it made it all the way, and then it, it actually uh, crashed, if you will. It stopped transmitting, stopped working, which is what it was supposed to do. The last transmission would come as it sort of landed on the surface of Venus. It stopped 3,774 miles from the center of the planet. Now, because of what they thought of, the, you know, what they had sort of guessed or studied or whatever about the diameter or the radius, really, of the planet, they're looking at like, okay, the last transmission came 3,774 miles from the center of the planet. That's the surface of the planet. We got transmission back. Awesome. We have the info we need for the first time ever we can learn about Venus. And so all this data came back about what the, the actual environment was when this thing hit at that particular point. And the discovery that was initially put out that was told was that, hey, life is possible on Venus. Like we're looking at the data, we're looking at the temperature, the humidity, all these things. And man, there is a, a area there on this planet that looks like it could or could have at some point supported life. Here's the problem. The probe landed 3,774 miles from the center of the planet. However, the actual radius of Venus is 3,759 miles, which means... This probe stopped transmitting 15 miles away from the actual surface of the planet. So the info they got was 15 miles away from the actual surface. It means that this thing never even actually entered the atmosphere of Venus. Now they're thinking, we've got all this information. Look, life is possible. We have put something on Venus when they never even entered the atmosphere. And just to give you an idea, I mean, first of all, let's, it's impressive, right? 25 million miles, you only missed it by 15 miles. That's pretty impressive. However, let me give you an idea of how giant a difference that can make. Today, in Mount Shasta City, the forecast says the high today is supposed to be 83 degrees in Mount Shasta City. Beautiful day in Northern California, right? Right beside Mount Shasta City is Mount Shasta. Now, Mount Shasta City, its altitude is 3,415 feet. The top of Mount Shasta itself is 14,164 feet, depending on snow levels in any given year. You want to know what the forecasted high today? 83 on the, in, the, in the valley, if you will. 83 at Mount Shasta City. You know what the forecast high is on the peak of Mount Shasta today? 26. 26. Now that is approximately a two-mile difference right there. Two miles you go from 83 to 26. Now, what do you think 15 miles, that 25 million miles away from here, however far we are even from the sun, what do you think that might do? It changes all sorts of things, right? 
And so here you had this group of people in 1967 in the Soviet Union that believed, we now know what Venus is like. We've got the information, we've seen it, we know what it's all about. But in reality, they came close, but they never even entered the atmosphere. And as a result, everything they thought they knew about it was completely wrong. There's a reason we're not sending probes of Venus anymore. And so, let's bring this back. What about Christianity? I mean, close is good, but it's not good enough. I'm, I'm going to be taking my family here pretty soon on a family vacation that we've been planning with our extended family for like three years to go to Disney. What's Florida? World? Disney. Oh, you guys all know. World. Okay, Disney. World. So we're going to fly, I don't know what it is, 3,000 miles. I know the flight from Seattle to Orlando is six hours, and I'm worried about that with three kids, believe me. But we're going to fly that far. And we're going to go all the way that we've been planning it for a long time. But what if we get there, we get to the parking lot and I'm like, well, we made it kids. Let's go home. Would that, would that be okay? No, you're close. You're on the proper, you're on the premises. You haven't really made it through the gate though. It's not the same. It's like having a layover in Paris and then trying to claim you've been to Paris. If you didn't leave the airport, you haven't been to Paris. I know I just ruined a lot of your maps on states you've been to and things like that, right? But if you stayed in the airport, it doesn't count. So what is Christianity? Because a lot of people believe they know what Christianity is. And a lot of people have been in the vicinity, maybe even in the atmosphere, but haven't had two feet on the ground to know what is Christianity? Well, we have the book of Philippians. Today, we're reading, studying through the book of Philippians, a book that Paul wrote. It's actually a letter. We refer to it as a book, but in your Bibles, it probably says a letter to or the epistle of. It means it's a letter. Like Paul sat down with a pen and wrote a letter to this church in Philippi. It was a place that, that a huge battle had taken place and all these Roman soldiers were in that area and Rome didn't really know what to do with them. And so Rome gave them this territory to start a city. And so the city of Philippi kind of grew out of that. So it's a very Roman city, very Roman city. Um, you'll get a chance. I'm actually already in the planning stages right now for September of next year, 2017, to actually set your very feet. If you come with us on an Apostle Paul trip next year to actually stand in this place and to kind of see the ruins of the city of Philippi. It's a real place. It was a letter written at a real time to a real group of people. And so Paul writes this letter to this church that he had helped start. And we saw a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 16, you see the beginnings of this church and it's very odd beginnings. It is diversity right out the gate from a wealthy fashionista, successful businesswoman to a slave girl to a Roman soldier, you see all sorts of different people and you see how the gospel is able to take people that are so different from such different backgrounds, from so many different places in life and is able to weave them together. And when people want to celebrate diversity, what they don't understand is the only place true diversity can be celebrated is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that unites people as different as can be and makes them brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God. And it's a good reminder for us as well, because most people left to your own devices, you'll tend to hang out with people just like you. That's what most people are like. 
And out of that, historically, have come incredible, from absolute racism and genocide and atrocities to just biases. But the understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ has made you brothers and sisters with people that you might normally have nothing to do with is an important thing for the church to grasp. So here's this church. It's been created with all these people. And now years have gone by and things for Paul, you would think as the churches have grown, then Paul's getting bigger and bigger in terms of his influence and his power. But actually things have gotten hard for Paul. Everything from shipwrecks, imprisonment. And as he writes this letter, he's in jail. And he's actually chained to a soldier in Rome. So Paul's in prison and he writes this letter. And as we've seen the last couple of weeks in Philippians 1, he goes through and he first is talking about how thankful he is for these people. This is the only church that Paul writes that he doesn't have words of criticism for. It's the only church that he doesn't say, would you guys just knock this off? I love you guys, but you're killing me over here. Like he doesn't do that anywhere. He's just so desperately loves the people of this church and he wants them to understand what happened to him. So he talks about the fact, hey, I want you to understand what's happened to me in this imprisonment. But as we saw last week, the weird thing is this. Paul's like, hey, let me tell you what happened to me. And then he doesn't really spend a whole lot of time talking about what happened to him. What he talks about is how the things happening to him actually are pushing the gospel forward. So as he's in chains, the gospel's spreading throughout the prison. All of this imperial guard that's around him, they're all hearing the gospel. All the soldiers in his prison, they're all hearing the gospel. It's something that wouldn't be a surprise to them because if you know the story of Paul and Silas in prison when the walls come crumbling down, that was in Philippi. So they've kind of heard this before. They're like, oh, that's old Paul. But, but then he talks more and more about how, look, no matter what's going on, I can have joy. I can rejoice because the gospel's going forward. In fact, even as I'm in here, all these people are preaching for different reasons. And yet I can just rejoice because the gospel's going forth. And that never happens today. I, I can tell you as a pastor, all the pastor's conferences I've been to, interacting with others, and even my own sinful heart at times, I can tell you right now, it is very rare that you find too many pastors that can, their instant reaction be, hey, I heard another competing, if you will, church nearby, or another competing leader who's pulling people away from me, or even trying to take my place. I'm just glad he's preaching the gospel. It's all good for me. It doesn't happen real often. You should pray for pastors. We are a sinful, wretched bunch. Truth. Might be the most true thing I'll say all day apart from the gospel. But this, this is true. So here's Paul. He's in jail. And he leaves this big leadership vacuum. And there's guys that are going, I I'm just trying to preach the gospel and be faithful to what Paul's doing. And that's awesome. But there's others that are going, now it's my turn to leave. Now I can be in charge. Now that Paul's out of the way, I want all the attention and there's this, all this envy and competition going on. And Paul's like, you know what? But even in that, I just rejoice because no matter whatever the reason, the gospel's being preached. And I'm just thankful that the people are hearing the word of God. So Paul is this sort of a, almost unsinkable Paul kind of a guy. That no matter how bad things get, though he does, he's human. Like he's not, you know cheesy Superman, nothing ever gets to me, Paul. If you read Corinthians, you know that. 
He goes through seasons of depression. He goes through seasons of sorrow. There were times where he's like, I don't even want to live anymore. But because he's able to turn back to the gospel over and over and over, he's able to rebound from those things in such a way that he's like, no matter what's going on, man, I can just rejoice because God is moving. God is sovereign. The gospel is going forth. And so Paul becomes this guy. You can't really get to him. Like you can't put him in prison because he'll convert everybody. You kill him. He's happy about that, as you'll see today. You beat him. He's like, yes, that makes me like Jesus. Whatever you do to Paul, he's just chill. And not just chill. He's like rejoicing. And so this whole book, like our theme that we've called it, is this idea, joy no matter what. That there is the ability to get through anything that comes your way on the joy of Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done. And this book kind of teaches us about that and shows us that. And so here we are. Paul's in prison. And he's talking about rejoicing. And in verse, let's start with verse 18 then. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full coverage, now as always, excuse me, with full courage, it's not an insurance thing, with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's the key verse. Read it with me, would you? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Read that again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, then it means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now think about this. This passage is wonderful. This, this paragraph, if you will, that we just read gives you sort of the, 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 the point of Paul's whole letter. If you're a student and you're writing or if you can remember back to school when you were taught how to write papers, they would tell you you had to have that topic sentence in that first paragraph somewhere. And Paul basically gives us his topic sentence for the book of Philippians right here, which could really be nailed down to that verse that we read together, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And everything else is flowing out of this understanding for Paul. So, but this paragraph doesn't just give us the sense, but he sort of gives us like a commentary and a context to it. So think of it this way. Here's the context that Paul gives us. Paul's in chains. He's in prison. He's chained to another person. There was a philosopher that once said that hell is other people. That's what he said. And if you've ever lived in a place where you feel like you just can't go, maybe it's a bad roommate that you had and you just feel like, I just can never get away from that guy. You understand that quote. Well, Paul is constantly chained to somebody. And as he's in chain, as he's in prison, not knowing whether he's going to live or die. I mean, think about that for a second. He's not, Paul's not writing from some cheesy fairy dust kind of position. Paul doesn't write to tell you guys, you should have joy in everything as he sits in his comfy office with his jazz music playing and some mood lighting and his feng shui going on. Like that's not him. 
He's not writing from the heights of success going, my life's great and yours can be too. He's writing in prison. Like, can you give me some slack, man? I'm trying to write at the end of this page. Like, in chains, constantly, not knowing whether he's going to live or die. He expects to be released. He hopes to be released, but he's also fully aware that death is a very likely possible outcome as well. This is his context that Paul's writing these things. And from this position, he writes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, that's our English translation. In the Greek language, there's no verbs in there. And it actually makes it more powerful. In in, in the original language, what it says actually is this, to live Christ, to die gain. It is a powerful, emphatic, punch you in the soul kind of phrase that Paul's throwing out at us right here. To live Christ, to die gain. And so what does he mean by that? Well, he gives us a breakdown. There's a commentary, if you will, on what this means in the very passage that's super important for us to understand. So we'll take them one at a time. First is this, to live Christ. One of the oldest questions there is, is what is life about? What is the meaning of life? The history of philosophy. I was with a group of men Thursday morning. We meet every Thursday morning at 6.30. If you're not coming, you should come. But every Thursday morning at 6.30, right over here at the church office, we've been going through the Truth Project together. And this week, we were talking about philosophy. The idea of philosophy, the roots of it, and kind of how it works out with regards to the gospel. And the idea is that in philosophy, philosophy, since the days of Aristotle, Plato, whoever these guys were, they were all trying to answer essentially the same question, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of all this? What's the big deal? Why are we here? And there's this inscription, there was actually a Roman inscription that was unearthed not far from Philippi that we might get a chance to see ourselves. I'm plugging my trip pretty hard right now, aren't I? But um, we might get to see that next year. But um, it says this, it was a Roman inscription. It says, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. That's his quote. His quote is, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, which is actually a sexual term in that particular context, and to game. That is life. So some people, you say, well, that, that seems rather archaic, but that, that's still kind of the way most people tend to live. Like, what's the point of life? And we should find happiness, joy, success, build a business, leave a legacy, Go hunting, spend all your time in the outdoors, all those things. Everybody lives for different things. And, and we might not even say it. Like, I don't know too many people that would say that hunting or sports or some of those things, that that's what life's all about. But I know lots of people that live that way. They might not say life is all about going hunting, but they will pour all of their money into it. I'm stepping all over toes, huh? I, the, you can't preach this in October. None of you are here. Just saying. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Golf. Life is golf. What a silly thing that would be, right? But, but we can live in such a way that we would pour everything into it. Spend all our time doing it. Pour all our resources into it. It's the only books we read. The only magazines we read. It could be anything. Celebrities, movies, hobbies, video games, sex, relationships, love, marriages, family. Like, family's everything. Family's not 
everything. Family is good and beautiful, but it exists to point us to something bigger than even just family. So what is the meaning of life? Well, for Paul, he lays it out for us. He says, to live Christ. Listen to some of the other things that Paul has said. Acts 20, verse 24, he says, I do not count my life of any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying this. Nothing else matters in life but Christ. Nothing. Well, there might be good things. good for us to spend time with family. It's good for us to enjoy time with family on a holiday weekend. That's not what it's about. The absolute crux of the life of a Christian purpose can be summed up in one word and one word only, and it is Christ. I mean, just honestly think about it for just a second. Jesus Christ came to earth and said this. He said, I'm God. Not a God, the God. He taught that he was the creator. The Bible teaches that he holds, think about this, that Jesus Christ holds all things together. Just think about the amount of power wrapped up just in that one sentence. That Jesus Christ, not gravity, not some scientific process, but just think about this, that Jesus Christ holds all things together. That would be a rather important person, would it not? He says that I'm the God who created heaven and earth. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he is the creator of all things. Colossians teaches clearly that he is supreme above all things. That he is over everything from principalities, powers, spirits, demons. That he's bigger than earth, bigger than the universe, bigger than anything you can imagine. That there is nothing bigger or greater than Jesus Christ. And he came to earth in the flesh. That that man that literally, truly walked around in Israel, that's that guy. And he said, I'll prove it to you. Tear down this body, speaking of his own flesh, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. And so he goes to the cross, he's murdered, and three days later, he rises again. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard this before, and I am totally on board with this quote. Anybody that can predict their death and their resurrection, then pull it off, I will follow. I'll follow him. But that's only part of it. To understand why he did all that makes it all the more amazing. Not just that he could do it. Not just that a God that powerful could humble himself or would humble himself to be that guy. But that he would do that and say, Jeff, all that, I did that for you. All of that, Terry, I did that for you. All that, Kathy, I did that for you. Why? Because Jeff, as great as I am, you've fallen from me. And as great as my power is, you're walking away from it. And your sin and your rebellion has put you on a path to be separated from me forever, which means damnation and death and hell and all those things nobody wants to talk about. 
But you've got to talk about those things to understand how good God is. That he would come in knowing that a dirtbag like me was willfully headed towards that and that he would save me? That the God that holds all things together would look at me and say, I'll take your sin, Jeff, and allow himself to be murdered on a cross? You've got to be kidding me. That's insane. That's just unbelievable. We can't even comprehend that. But it's true. So think about this. If he is who he says he is, and if he did what this Bible said he did, and if he is coming back for his children like he promises to do, what in the world could be more important than that? What could you possibly put all your efforts or energy in that would be worth doing over that? What could anyone justifiably build a life on other than that? So of course to live is Christ. Anything else is a fool's errand that ends far from joy. If the theme of this book is joy, building your life on anything else than who Jesus Christ is is a fool's arrogant, er, errand. And that is not some arrogant statement. That is reality. That is Christ calling us to him to say, don't be like the foolish man who built his life on the sand. And when the storms came, he was washed away. Be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, who heard the word of God and did the word of God, who followed me in faith and nothing that came could rock him. Don't be like the one who is apart from the family of God, but be the one who is adopted into the family of God. That song that we sing, I'm no longer a slave of fear, for I am a child of God. There's so much power in that understanding. So what could possibly, to live is, if your answer isn't Christ, oh man, I'm begging you, rethink. Take stock understand, pray, ponder. I, I, I've gotten pushback before from some people like, you're always pushing on Christians making us doubt our faith. Well, it's only because the Bible does. The Bible all the time is saying, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the reason is, is that this is a big deal. This is something we've got to understand. To live is Christ. This isn't bully pulpitting saying that sports stinks or hunting stinks. This is exalting Christ to say he's so much more valuable than any of that. And there will come a day when many people are going to miss out on that and wish that they had not spent so much time, effort, money, treasure, energy, whatever it is on things that just don't matter just don't matter. I was reading an, an article actually this week that was about the, the changing role of the pastor throughout history. And it was talking about how uh, the, the job or the calling or the role of pastor as cultures have changed, as times have changed, that there's different things and, and how it's kind of morphed into what it is today and areas where it's different and areas that's the same. 
And it was a pretty fascinating article how it started out where the pastor was mainly just to care for the people of God as they got together. And then, then it was really focused more on preaching and the teaching of the word. But, but even as we've come into more modern days, pastors are expected to either facilitate relationships, to, to put together, if you will, gatherings or whatnot so that the people of God can come together because we've gotten more, I guess you'd say, scattered or separated as a people. All the way to the fact that pastors now, to a large degree, are also just plain managers of programs or organizations, that there's all sorts of things that come in there. But I'll tell you what, one thing they left out of that article that was such a shame, the one thing that has always been a job description or role of every pastor and every Christian in the history of the world is to hold up, to exalt Jesus Christ as the most valuable thing in the universe. That's what it means to exalt Christ. And this is what Paul's saying here. He's saying, whether in my life or whether in my death, I want, be, I want God to be glorified. So I want to live in such a way that proves to people that Christ is valuable to me. And the reason that young people are walking away from the church today as they leave families and go off to college and career is because they grew up in families where Christ was uttered but not exalted. And so they don't believe that he's worth it because they've never seen that he's worth it. To live Christ, to die, gain. Paul goes on, to die, gain. Now, Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, if we in Christ have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is what he said in Corinthians. If we as Christians are all about just this life and nothing else, then we should be pitied. Why would that be? Well, think about it. Christians are people who follow the example of Jesus Christ and lay their lives down for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. So what does that mean? It means if it's all about this and there's nothing on the other side, then we're wasting a lot of things we could have got for ourselves. We laid it all down for no reason. That's what it means. I mean, if Christ isn't real and the resurrection isn't real and the kingdom of God isn't real, then there is no reason whatsoever that we should ever spend one penny to feed the hungry. You know, Jeff, you are a heartless jerk. I am, but that's true. And here's why. Because if what we're told in the world today, this idea, we talked about this Thursday morning too. Men, you really need to be coming, I'm telling you. But if, if Darwinism and this whole idea of evolution and, and natural, uh, what was that thing called? The uh, survival of the fittest, that natural selection, all that. If all of that is true, then why in the world would we ever do anything to boost up a species or a people or a person who is dying? You are giving of yourself when in the end you're just going to be gone anyway. It doesn't make any sense to do that. And it would actually be pushing against nature's, if you believe that, inevitable push and conclusion. You'd be trying to hold off something that you'll never actually be able to hold off anyway. So it's a waste of time. So the result always would end up being there's this conflict. Those who believe that there isn't a God but would say we should serve and take care of others, the inevitable question that comes around is why? And there is no answer for that apart from God. At best, there would be, so I can live with myself and be at peace in the life that I have. But even that means you just haven't thought down that process far enough. Because why would you be at peace when you've wasted everything in the one life you have for something that doesn't make any difference? Because in the end, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we all die. All of us. So Paul says, hey, 
if Christ isn't real and the resurrection isn't real, we are to be pitied more than anybody. But the good news is, is that it's not. That it is. It is real. Excuse me. The resurrection is real. Christ did raise from the dead. And so we as Christians are those who live for something beyond this world now. What's those stickers and t-shirts you see? NWA. That's, I always thought that was like a, is it NWA? It's, what, what is it? Somebody tell me. Not of this world. That's what it is. See, for a long time, I thought they just misspelled the rap group from the 80s and 90s. And I was just like, that's, a, that's another Christian group to kind of steal the secular stuff and make it cheesy. But um, no, so not of this world is what that actually means. That, but that's the reality. The Bible points to Abraham as our example saying, hey, we're to live as pilgrims. That, that we are not living for a life here. We're living for a different city. We're living for a different life. We're living for a different thing. We're living for that which is to come. We don't, we don't invest everything here. And, and it makes sense when you think about just the Christian life in general. We sacrifice money as we tithe into the kingdom of God. We sacrifice energy, time, talent to do things to build up a kingdom that is not of this world. That's what it means. But, but here's the thing I want to really drive home in this. And this is the part... Another one where, well, we're sort of in the vicinity of Christianity, but if you don't push through and understand this point, you're missing it. You're still 15 miles off the surface. When Paul says this, listen, think about what he's saying. He's in prison going, I hope I get out to see you. But then he says, what I, what I really hope is I die. That's what he actually says. He says, literally, it would be far better. I'm hard pressed between the two. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you thought you might die? And you're like, I just can't decide what I want. You know, when is the last time a loved one was on the verge of death and you were like, I just, I'm not sure what I want for him. This is what Paul's, he's in prison. I think I'm going to let go, but I got to tell you, it's a tough choice for me to live as Christ. And by the way, the thing we didn't even push into his definition of living for Christ isn't kicking back and living this comfortable life. How does he describe what living for Christ is going to be? Sacrificing his life for the sake of these people. So living for Christ means laying our life down. Just as Christ, the night before the cross, he takes on the, the, the garment, if you will, or lack thereof, maybe a better word, of a servant, washes the disciples' feet, and then he says, hey, look, the servant's not greater than the master. What I have done for you, you should do for others, for I have given you an example. So to live as Christ means we aren't living for self anymore. We're living to serve others. But in death, Paul's like, okay, I, I'm not sure. To live would be good because I can serve you guys. I can pour out into you guys. I love you guys. I want to serve you guys. But, but to die is better. Why? Ask yourself that really honestly. Why? What is it about the life to come that we hold to most tightly and that we believe is so much better? I just spent, as you guys know, the last couple of weeks with a dear family as part of our church, did a memorial service on Friday. The text that we always seem to come back to, whether it was me or other pastors in the room, the text we always came back to as we were sitting there, as our dear Willa Mae went on to be with Lord's, we'd come back to John 14. And in John 14, here's Jesus with the disciples and they're all sort of freaked out because they know Jesus is about to leave and they're trying to figure out what's life like now, what's it gonna be like? And he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. And he says this, in my father's house are many what? Ah, I'm glad you said that because you helped me make my point. 
Americans. Mansions. That's what some of your translations say. If you have the ESV version, it says what? Rooms. Which one's better? <laughs> mansion sounds better, doesn't it? Doesn't mansion sound better? Isn't that what maybe even historically we've been led to believe? Man, I can't wait to go to heaven. I'm going to have a mansion and a pool. I'll invite you guys over. We're going to barbecue with Jesus. It's going to be amazing. Right? But the word mansion in that particular text, it actually comes from the word Monet. And I don't mean like money, Monet, M-O-N-A-Y. And it literally actually translates rooms. In fact, specifically, it translates as this. It is a hospitable place within a home where a person may dwell. So think about this. In, in many of the, the Jewish culture at that time, a lot of times, if a man and a woman were married, the patriarch on the wife's side, the patriarch would build an additional room onto the house that he had so that once the marriage happened, the couple would come and live in that room attached to the house. Now, I know that sounds like a nightmare to all of you right now, right? I know all of us are like, I'm glad cultures have evolved and we're not doing that anymore. But you know why that is? It's because we have sinful mothers and fathers and we're sinful ourselves. But, but this is the reality of it. In heaven, it's not this Western idea of riches and wealth and our own mansions and all those kind of things. The reward Paul points to is not stuff, but Christ. He says in our text right here, to die is better because why? I get to be with Christ. He doesn't say to die is better because I'm in a jail cell chained to a guy and I would love a big pool by my mansion instead. He says to die is better because instead of this Yahoo, I get to be with Jesus. Christ is the prize. We live for heaven not because, as great as this would be, it's not that our, our bodies are perfect. It's not that there's no more pain, no more tears, none of those things. Those things are because you're in the presence of God. The thing that is the prize is God. It's not that we get heaven. It's not that we get mansions. It's that we get brought into the household of God. Heaven is amazing because you get Jesus. He is our prize. And if we as Christians like live for the other world, but our definition of the other world is I can't wait because then I won't hurt. That's true. And he wants you to enjoy that. He wants you to believe that, but he doesn't want you to miss out on what's truly valuable. Listen, church, nothing is better than Jesus in this earth or any other one. Nothing is better than Jesus in this universe. Nothing. And yet Christ gave himself for you that he might have you. That you've been adopted in to the family of God is an amazing thing. I was just reflecting on it this morning. We're, we're kind of done here. This is totally off the notes. But J.I. Packer was talking about how, if you could just summarize, what's, what's the doctrine of Christianity at its core? If there's one thing that you could point to or talk about to really bring people to the core of what it is, he actually pointed to adoption, something I've clearly been thinking about a lot lately as we've just adopted ourselves. And he says, 
He says it this way, and I'm totally paraphrasing. He's way more, um, well, let's just say it, mature than I am. So he'll say it differently, I'm sure. But this is the idea. Christ is our just judge. And at the cross, we see sin paid for. Through the cross, forgiveness is offered. And so it is right that we celebrate the cross of Christ as having been set free. But you don't stop there. You push forward and you understand that you've been set free that he might bring you in. It's not mansions out there. It's a room in his house. He's adopted you because, hey, God as just judge is a great doctrine. The fact that we've been set free, a tremendous gift. But the fact that now he's your dad is a much bigger one. And as we've said, we looked at it in Ephesians. It's Memorial Day weekend. There's probably a lot of people out camping right now. Maybe you guys are going to go do something with your families tomorrow. I hope that you are. Think about it. No one wants to go camping or rafting or barbecuing with the judge. Remember the last time you went to court for your traffic ticket? Don't act like you haven't. Think about it. You walk in there and you're like, I need to talk at the right time. I don't want to talk otherwise. I need to dress a certain way so that I can impress him. We want to be respectful, call him your honor, do all this stuff. Nobody wants to camp with that. This is possibly inappropriate, but my son, just this week, it's still weird to say, but my son, I'm sitting on the couch and I experienced what many of you dads have experienced many, many times before. I was sitting on the couch and I wasn't looking as he decided to come run and jump in my lap. Ryan Sample, pastor friend of mine up in Idaho, he was like, oh, that's the first of many. But to scoop him up and hold him, you know what I mean? Like, he's our father. So here, here's what I wanna do. We're, we're gonna close out here and then we're gonna be done. The core of Christianity is not ceremony, it's not tithing, it's not morals, it's not gatherings. As great as all those things may be, the core of Christianity is a person, Jesus Christ, our joint heir, the one who has brought us into the household of God. We don't worship a vain philosophy or even a good philosophy. We worship a person. And it's so easy to get our eyes off of that. And when we do, we're hovering 15 miles above the surface and we are not experiencing what it's really like to be inside the household of God. So maybe, just maybe, the next few minutes is an opportunity for you to experience that for the first time in maybe a while. So we're gonna dim the lights a little bit, just a little bit. And we're gonna take some opportunity to just worship. But before you sing a note, I want you to take stock. I want you to think, Lord, are there areas where I've, I've made it about this or I've made my life about that and I've forgotten who you are. By the grace of God, you're here today where the word of God is calling us back to the reality that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But whether we live or die, the truth of what a Christian life looks like is we live in such a way that whether death nor life, nothing can take us away from what's really important and that's Jesus Christ. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, even as, as we did last week, I pray, Lord, right now that you would do ministry. 
that your spirit would just move in this place this morning and, and reawaken passions for you. That the things where we've made it so complicated or so difficult, Lord, may you call us back to a real true understanding of that which is most important. It is you, Jesus. The author, the finisher of our faith, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, our savior and our friend, the creator and the changer, Lord of comfort, Lord of healing, our savior and our friend. God, may your spirit move and may you grace us, Lord, with the power to turn our attention to you. In Jesus' name. When the music fades, it's all stripped away. And I simply come, longing just to bring. Something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song itself. It's not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. Looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you And it's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've Stand with me as we sing. Heal in this world. Heal in this world. No one could express how much you It's all about
Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sounds in your ears. So, Father, may you bless and work through your people this week, Lord. Pray, Lord, that even as we go into Memorial Day, Lord, may forever before our eyes be remembrance of the sacrifice you made, the declarations you made, the life you lived, and who we are in Christ. Lord, for those in this place that have not, Lord, made that commitment, Lord, that have not accepted the free gift of grace that's been given, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just bring them down. Lord, I pray that you would save the lost that you would continue to gather your church. I pray, Lord, that we would understand and promote better and better, Lord, the incredible majesty that you're due. That people, as they spend time with us, would come to the understanding that Christ, you are more valuable than anything. That to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Lord, then to that end, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray for the day that tears are gone, that, that our faith is made sight, that we're brought in, but we pray for the day that we get to see you face to face. And so now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, and dominion, and authority, before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Amen. Enjoy your extra day off. I love you guys. Go make much of Jesus.